All right. Welcome to the Empirical Preparedness Podcast. My name is Caleb Coleman. I'm your host. For this episode, there's been um, something on my mind over the last couple weeks or a month or so that I kind of just want to talk about, talk out loud a little bit. And it, and it really revolves around um, this the the need to compete um, in, in in everyday life and in, in all kinds of things the media and the internet has influenced this idea of being successful financially family job um, work ethic and just that constant grind mode um, and I kind of just want to touch on that a little bit before I do. If you haven't already, go back and check out that last episode that we did with Avery. Um, we got a lot of great feedback. Avery's a good friend of mine, and he was willing to share his story, his life story, and his testimony. And um, and it, it was just an awesome opportunity, an awesome testimony of encouragement and hope. We got a lot of good feedback from the um, everybody who's listened so far. And so if you are listening to this now and haven't tuned into the episode with Avery, um, I'd highly recommend going back and taking a look at that. Um, so real quick, let me just um, go to our Father in Heaven, and then we'll kind of dive into what are my thoughts about this, this competitive nature. So Father, be with me now. With the listeners of the podcast, thank you for for bringing them here. I pray that you will speak through me. Give me the words to speak that will be of truth and of meaningful conversation throughout this podcast. God, you are good, and we give you thanks. In your name we pray, amen. So like I said... This, this competition, and you probably, I may not need to say more than that because I think everybody kind of knows or, or feels this same burden. Um, but let me elaborate on what I mean real quick, I guess, in my own life. One is successful job, like this image of a job, right? And I look at certain people that have a, a job that, I admire or respect, and I'm like, I want that type of status, right? For me, it really revolves around um, like a respectable job, um, high-level security, some type of, like I got friends in the uh, special forces in the military, and I'm like, man, I want something like that. Like, I want that kind of recognition um, or somebody that, um, hold some sort of position of power and you're like, man, he's got a team of guys and they're really successful and they got this nice business logo and I want something like that. You know, I want a, a podcast that has thousands of monthly listeners. I want a YouTube channel that's, um, you know, competes with the rest of them or not even competes, but just, just there, you know, on the brink of, of success. Like you could go to my YouTube channel and be like, that was, he's successful, right? 
finances. Like I want to be able to just not have to worry about a penny here and a penny there. All these types of things. Relationships, you know, walking down the street, holding holding the hand of a beautiful woman and or maybe she's at home cooking while I'm at work and I know that that she's you know taking care of me and I'm providing for her you know maybe she's taking care of kids and like that image of a of a successful family and I you know I strive for those things and to a certain extent to look at these people and these types of thought process, these ideas, a lot of times it's ideas in my head of, of what success really looks like. And I, and, and it, it may be, you know, okay to strive for some of those things, but it's also been a burden on me and I think takes away from being present and and prioritizing what's going on in my life right now. And what are what should I prioritize? Do I need to prioritize having a fancy YouTube channel? Do I need to prioritize a relationship? Do I do I need to prioritize having a respectable job? Um cuz right now I'm going to school working construction and learning about agriculture. That's not exactly like fancy stuff. I've got a hand-drawn logo for this YouTube channel. I record an episode once every couple of weeks that in my mind is mediocre, you know? And so I guess what my point is, I'm holding myself to such a high standard, but but I'm burdened by the idea of achieving that standard. So, let me get to my point, or let me... Um, why am I even bringing this up? We're doing a Bible, we do a Bible study every Saturday, and it's... Um, Pretty in-depth hermeneutical study. Uh, we spend two, two and a half hours talking with a small group. And we just finished James, which is a, a short book where James is talking to the 12 tribes of Israel. At this point, scattered abroad, as it says in verse 1. And the whole topic of James and what he's talking about is authentic faith. What does that look like? What are the characteristics of faith? And how does faith reflect in our lives? And it's kind of convicting because as I'm looking at this, as we study through the five chapters in James, I wonder how is my faith reflected? Have I really been present with God? And, and had such a faith in my Lord and Savior that portrays in everyday life? If I did, then I probably wouldn't be concerned with 
having a popular YouTube channel, right? So chapter one talks about the testing of our faith and why that's important, temptation, and then dives into some of the characteristics of faith. What does faith look like? Faith obeys the word. In verse 19, Then my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm none of those things. Swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. I blow people off. I speak too much and too loud. My opinions, like, like, like my opinions matter. Wrath, I get, I get angry and frustrated at people all the time. So is my faith really authentic? And let me continue for a second because it's really convicting. Lay aside, verse 21, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. And I think here is a the internet and this, you know, this image is is full of filthiness and wickedness. And I distract myself with that. I'm not I'm not focused on the word. I'm not present with God because I'm distracting myself with worldly influences. Be doers of the word. Am I really being a doer? Of, if I was being a doer of the word, then that would reflect in my life and I would be focused on the homeless, the um, those who who need salvation, I would be working with women and orphans who need a godly man in their life. Instead of being self-centered and concerned with an image that I may have the way people perceive me. Chapter 2 continues with these characteristics. And I kind of want to go through just a couple... Um, let's see, I, um, partiality for the rich. We pay attention, verse 3 of chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 3, or, or excuse me, let's, let's go back to the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory, with partiality. If there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings, in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, I want to say that I don't do this, that I respect anybody and everybody, and I would give, give the seat to the poor man, or I would 
give the shirt off my back. I'd give my last dollar to the poor man. I would show impartiality, but the truth is, that's actually not the case at all. I do show partiality, and I've got a prime example. The gym I go to, um, it's a richer area, and you can kind of tell that by the people that go there. And I've interacted with some people who, you know, are well put together and speak well and are strong, and, and you, you just know that. And it's easy to kind of hold a conversation with them. And then there's this gentleman who shows up wearing the exact same pair of slacks that are too long and rub the ground. And so you see the tears of the bottom of his slacks. He's got, you know, water stains where he's walking in puddles. He's got the same pair of shoes that are old and torn up. He takes a shower and then puts the, he works out in these slacks and then takes a shower and puts the same clothes back on. He touches walls and looks under treadmills and looks under vehicles for whatever reason, whether he's looking for spare change. I don't, I haven't figured it out. And I've seen him in there. I see him all the time. And I've shown partiality because I won't have a conversation with him. I haven't had a conversation with him. I've smiled and waved at him, and that's the extent of it. But why can't I? What What is it about my flesh that shows that kind of partiality? If I was present praying continually and living out my faith, authentic faith, would I not speak to this man, take him out for lunch, you name it, be, be friends with him? Verse 5, listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? This man may be a brother in Christ, the rich man that I speak to hypothetically, but some of these rich people that I speak to in the gym, in passing, are not brothers in Christ, and I know that for a fact. And I bypass this gentleman who is seemingly poor in world's eyes, in society's eyes, seemingly poor, and yet has God not chosen this poor, the poor of this world, to be rich in faith? Who am I to judge him? I may see him in heaven one day and have to confront him and say, I'm sorry, I bypassed you every day, and we could have been best friends. We could have been brothers in Christ, and I... I walk past you as if you were the scum of the earth. So again, is my are my priorities in check? Verse 14, chapter 2, verse 14, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? 
What does it profit a man to say he has faith, but he does not have works? Are my works a reflection of my faith? Or am I all talk? And this is this is conversation that I've been having with myself for a while, or, or the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me saying, what are you doing? Are my priorities in check? Do I need to strive for a successful career? Do I need to sh- strive for a successful YouTube? Like, like, there's something about, this goes for all social media and the internet. There's something about seeing a number like a thousand, for example. And it's like, oh man, a thousand people listen to that. And so it, it, it's like a dopamine hit. It feels good. Maybe it means you're on track. It's something to strive for. Does that mean anything? What if what if I was consistent, honest, present with God, faithful, and carrying out the Great Commission? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What if I did that and one person came to the faith, but I was not faithful, my works did not reflect, it was not fruit of the Spirit, but I had a thousand people watching me for my personality. And nobody came to faith. Nobody surrendered their life to Christ, but a thousand people tuned in to me. That's the opposite of what I want and where I want to be. I want to be faithful and and therefore have let my let my works be a reflection of my faith. And I think that comes with I've said this a few times with being present in, in, in continual prayer and meditation with Christ, in reading of the Word in the morning, waking up, and, and being focusing our eyes on the Word of God, like we see back here, um, lay aside all filthiness, receive with meekness the implanted Word, which is able to save your souls, be doers of the Word. Um, be doers of the word and that comes from studying the word you can't be a doer of the word if you're not studying the word right let me continue a little bit reading through and this is it's such a, a, a very broad synopsis I, I've, I've really enjoyed studying James with the group that we've done because it's applicable. You know, there's a lot of of the Bible that's so, I mean, it's all applicable, but there's such a, so much of the Bible that is uh, historical, hard to understand, you know, context, and it may not seem relevant to today, but James is timeless. 
Um, you see the Faith controls the tongue. Faith controls the tongue. This is this is huge too because I think that man, we spent a long time looking at this. I don't even know if I can get into it right now without spending an hour looking at chapter three because it's just so intense and there's so much there. Um No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Just reflect on that for a minute. I think that... um. Yeah, I don't I don't want to get into this too much. I think that it's kind of a reflection if we look back once again. Excuse me. Slow to speak. Slow to speak. And I'm reminded when we say with it we bless our God and Father, I'm always reminded of the Psalms. You know, David is a musician and poet. And for however many, a hundred and however, hundred and some chapters of Psalms, he blessed the Lord his God. He prayed with his mouth. He and his, his tongue blessed God. And I think that's that's something we don't do enough of. We curse men all the time. How often do we curse men? How often do we bless and praise our God and Father? And so that authentic faith, again, is, is evident in that. The, the meek man, the man that sits in the corner with his mouth shut until, until the Lord speaks through him, you know that he is seeking wisdom and he is present with God. The man who is speaking too much, too fast, cutting people off, and, and there's no substance to what's coming out of his mouth. He's full of pride and arrogance. He's not present with God. And he is not reflecting authentic faith. I want to be the meek man. I want to be the one who controls his tongue, who, who is faithful Therefore, his tongue is being tamed. And that's, that's the key throughout all of this. It's not that, it's not that we... It, it, the example of the Pharisees, or even modern-day Catholics, where they, they follow a set of rules, that's not, that's not exactly it. Um, it's not about 
working without faith or following a set of rules because we'll never achieve them. It's about in the presence of God and being faithful and in constant prayer and humbling ourselves before a Savior who humbled himself to the point of death on a cross and recognizing our need for him, it's at that point in, in that that moment of humility and faith that these things are reflected, that these characteristics are evident in our life. And it, and it takes work. It takes um, dying to ourself every day, coming to the Word, reading Scripture, praying continually, Faith produces wisdom. Who is wise? This is uh, chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. Uh, And then humility. I want to... Let me touch on humility... There's so much here. I don't. I, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to get into all this. I really. <laughs> I want to get back to. Maybe I've already covered it. Um, but that burden to be successful because others are successful in this worldly light. Do I need that? What if hypothetically everything was gone? My house got burned up. My shed, storage shed was gone. All my money was gone. Everything was gone, like Job. What if I lost everything? What if I lost my family, my dog, and it was just me? Am I still rich? Would my faith still reflect? Would my works be a reflection of my faith? Um, and then so when we get to humility chapter 4 faith produces humility and there's an amazing book Humility True Greatness by C.J. Mahaney highly recommend it Um, if you're a man of God even if you're not a man of God if you're a if you're a human being, we could all use a little more humility. And I think C.J. Mahaney lays it out perfectly from a gospel perspective. What it means to be humble. And how that actually looks. How, how that can be applied in our daily life. So he's got some... Um, Phenomenal examples and, and just well written, easy to read too. It's it's an easy to read and easy to follow book. True greatness, humility, true greatness by C.J. Mahaney. So, chapter four, verse one: Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. 
You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. And that's a key, um, a key point that you may spend it on your pleasures. We lust and we do not have. We murder and covet and we cannot obtain. We even pray for these things and we still do not receive them because we are asking for the wrong things. We are praying, we are praying for our own pleasures. And God says that is not that's not humility. Verse four, adulterers and adulteresses. And this is this is huge to me. And this is a reminder and a conviction. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And I have to remember that. That needs to be on the forefront of my mind. And this all goes back to the priorities. And there's... I feel like I'm not good enough. Because in the eyes of the world, I'm not doing enough. I don't have enough money. I'm not successful. You know, I'm... But I'm not called to be successful in this world. I'm not called to be friend of this world. I'm not called to have a successful YouTube channel. I'm not called to have a fancy job. I'm not called to do any of those things. I'm called to be humble before God. Excuse me. Therefore, he says in verse 6, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. These, these desires and these pleasures of the world, the need to compete, the daily grind, that all comes from a place of pride. Now, is there any benefit to it? Is, is, can I... Yes. I'm not saying that it is wrong to work hard, that it is wrong to strive for excellence, that, it, that none of these things are inherently wrong. It's about where is it coming from? Is it coming from a place of pride? Or is it coming from a place of authentic faith? Is it representing authentic faith? Am I, am I, we're going to touch on riches in a minute too. The, what I'm, what I'm getting at here, let's see, verse, or chapter four, verse eight, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. When we draw near to God, our priorities change. I, my priorities change when I draw near to God. When I am in prayer, when I am meditating on the Word of God, my priorities change. 
you know where I want to be? I want to be at an orphanage in Africa. I don't want any of my possessions. I don't want any of the worldly things. I want to help. I want to I want to be I want to be amongst the poor and the needy, those who need a father, those who need a friend, the widows and the single mothers. But the moment I turn from that, the moment I set the Bible down and I walk outside or I turn on YouTube, then I want the pleasures of this world. And that's a common theme for me is distractions. And I distract myself. And I do it on purpose because I know that I'm double-minded. You double-minded. Purify your hearts. I know that my flesh and my spirit are at war. And I'm coming here now and today confessing that, that I am, I need to continue and strive to be present in the Word of God so that my faith will be evident in my life. My priorities will be put in perspective that I will with the guidance from the Holy Spirit will follow my calling and not my pleasures, my desires, my worldly desires. Faith produces dependence on God, 4.13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. You do not know what will happen tomorrow. It's all, again, it's so relevant. We do this all the time. I want to make a profit. I want savings. I want a, I want a retirement account. I want a nice piece of land. I want to be protected when the world goes to nothing. I want to I want to be, you know, I want to, I want to be successful. I want to be uh protected, prepared. Do we not know what will happen tomorrow? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, say this. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills it, we shall live and do this or that. God, is your will, your will for my life. Went to church this morning to a brand new church, and ironically, <laughs> they're starting James chapter 1, whereas yesterday in the Bible today, we just finished James chapter 1. And he said he has, he, he asks, this pastor asks three questions. He says, um, in prayer, ask these three questions. God, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing around me? And how do you want me to respond? And I think those are um, important to ask. Important questions to seek from God in turning the focus away from 
me and my desires and praying for my own pleasures. But God, what are you doing? What are you doing around me? And how do you want me to respond to that? And another conviction right here before we dive into his riches and then I'll close it up, I guess. Verse 17, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. That hurts. <laughs> that touches the soul. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. That's me every day. I know to do good. I reject it. And that's part of this, this battle, this spiritual warfare. And then real quick, this ended up being a lot longer. I apologize. Chapter 5. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. You have, uh, verse 4, Indeed the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back from fraud, cried out, Cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just, the just and he does not resist you. And you know, it's conflicting because... I've had this desire... To be prepared. My dream, my worldly dream, is to have a homestead on a couple hundred acres with cattle, like um, some vegetables, chickens, self-sufficient, prepared for the end of the world. And yet I don't... I, I'm coming to realize that that is not where I'm called to be. I've got some friends who were involved in the um, the fires in California, lost everything. Everything. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded. The riches that we build up here on earth are all temporary. We, we use people, we use laborers to build our own riches. We live in pleasure and luxury. We get fat. And what do we have to gain? 
What is it to gain the whole world yet lose your soul? So is my priority to have sponsors and be well-known to have monthly listeners that tune in and support my lifestyle? Or is my priority to live like Christ, to be humble before the Lord, to be present with God, to study Scripture, to pray continually, and therefore reflect or or through living that authentic faith, then go out into the world and let my faith shine through, to be a, a light unto the world, to interact with the lowly, to share the gospel, to go into all nations and make disciples, to, to speak on this podcast to, even if it's only three people that need to hear a word of encouragement. It's about our heart, where we are in our relationship with God, our faith, Be patient until the coming of the Lord. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another lest you be condemned. I've learned a lot about patience in the last year. Something about running long distances. I ran that marathon and done some trail runs. Something about running teaches a lot about patience. And I want to touch on that in another podcast. I don't want to get into it now. I want to have an entire dedicated podcast to patience. I think where I want to wrap this up is first of all, I would encourage you, employ, implore you to take a look at James. And reflect on your own faith and your relationship with God. And then and check your priorities like I am now. Checking my priorities and the competition and the burden I feel when I feel that burden and in a example of that. Um yeah. There's a lot of examples of that, I guess. I think that I just feel this, the urgency or this, I'm almost 28 years old. I live in my parents' backyard. 
and I just want to get out. I want to like, I want that dream life, so-called white picket fence, not literally, but I want my own land. I want a house. I want a wife. I want a job, a consistent, like, a consistent job that I enjoy and that's respected. But when that burden hits, when I'm sitting here in my trailer, instead of being disgruntled by the worldly things that I don't have, I need to seek the Word of God, pray and seek God, and ask Him what is He doing and how does He want me to respond And in all of this, these trials, because this is a trial, the questions I have are trials. The testing of your faith produces patience. Or verse 2, excuse me, let me go back to verse 2. Chapter 1, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I am in a trial and I need to be joyful. Grateful to the Lord for this trial of life that I'm in, that I may be more patient, seek wisdom, live out my faith in a way that my works reflect Christ's work, that my, my faith represents, or my, I become humble And my humility is a reflection of the work of God in my life. And if these things, if this becomes my priority, then I believe I will be blessed. Psalm 119, blessed are the undefiled in a way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. And I think I want to wrap it up there. If you're still here, thanks for listening. If you have any feedback, any comments, please reach out. You can email me, empirical underscore preparedness at protonmail.com. You can comment on your listening site. YouTube, head over to YouTube, Empirical Preparedness. You can comment on any of those videos. Um, You name it, reach out to me any way you can. Um, And if this was in any way impactful or got you thinking, um, I want to know, I'd like to know about it. Again, I want to build a community. I want to know how how we can kind of work together as brothers and sisters in Christ and encourage one another. So thanks for listening. I know this was uh, this was probably a lot. This was way more than I expected. Um, over forty five minutes, and 
I didn't know where this was going. So thank you, Lord. We praise your name. We thank you for your word and for your half-brother James and his testimony. Amen. All right. With that said, empirical preparedness out.